It is partially linked to what we're going to talk about later, which is people making comments about subjects they don't know an awful lot about online, and then when they're given correct information or, or the, the, the truth or the facts, yeah. they still refuse to, to back down. I'm not looking at anyone in particular, Piers Morgan. The double down is where it is the worst. Frickin' Piers Morgan. Oh, I know. It's funny in that his U-turn, well, not so much U-turn, it's like a full 360, has been remarkable in the last... 18 months to two years. <laughs> yeah. It was more that he's all, he was he was facing in one awful direction for most of his right. existence, and he briefly did a pirouette. Precisely. Um, and is now back at normal. <laughs> so, to me, I, I am fascinated by this. The fact that he was always that guy who would make, you know, the kind of guy who'd be like, of course he's going to make a comment about Simone Biles. Of course he is. And then, during the pandemic, he suddenly became, like, the most prominent journalist who was actually holding government ministers to account. And you're thinking, this isn't what you usually do this isn't your gimmick go back to your old thing and wow. then of course he has now gone back to his old thing no i i didn't want him to go back to his old thing i really wanted no no i agree yeah i i agree but to me it was just so surprising that he was the person like we actually use him in or we use a clip with him and matt hancock really to demonstrate how terrible Matt hancock was at answering questions mm-hmm. but we actually use him in our media training courses because right. he's asking matt hancock do you regret voting against giving free school lunches to underprivileged underprivileged children. Oh, yes or yeah. no? It's a yes or no question. And Hat Mancock just fumbles and does... Well, he did a lot of fumbling uh, in his career. <laughs> but he just doesn't give an answer. And it's it's so interesting that Piers, as you say, had that briefest of pirouettes. Yeah. Like, as if he was on a pommel horse. Not a pommel horse. As if he was on a balance beam at the Tokyo Olympics. The briefest of pirouettes and you missed it. Yeah, but you're right in that most of the time he spends his time being the epitome of the ill-informed but expert self-declared expert at everything there are a lot of them which is um, the Dunning-Kruger effect I believe yes when one's confidence in their own knowledge of a thing is ridiculously high with the less they actually know about it I was reading about that actually yeah Uh, uh, I always want to say Diana Kruger but that makes it sound like a a superhero I think it's Dunning. I can't, I never, I'm really bad at names. Dunning-Kruger effect, where someone overestimates their own ability because they actually lack the knowledge to properly estimate their ability. I think Piers Morgan is one of the greatest examples of that. Jeremy Clarkson, too, amongst the, t- amongst the top. Although I tell you, I have now heard at least three different people give excellent reviews to his new TV show on Amazon Prime. It's mad, isn't it? Clarkson's like, Farm. Even the worst people can make good things sometimes. <laughs> it's it's almost as if it's like a switch they can dial up or down. Yeah, like he's deliberately saying things like, hey, it's all right if you die from COVID. Let it happen for the sake of the nation. It's almost like that helps him get the headlines or something. Well, to me, it is the, the, the two different types of people. The people like, for example, Boris, who just does not have a filter, perhaps dials up the goofiness now and again, but he's basically saying what he's thinking. Mm-hmm. And then you have other people like Piers Morgan and and his ilk, who uh, probably have some problematic views, but they know that they can actually make it 10 times louder. Yeah. And uh, that will get them coverage and that will get them talked about. Indeed. Indeed. Why don't we do that? Um, was scummy and bad. <laughs> also, it must be exhausting. Imagine being a grifter. How exhausting it would be. I know. To overemphasize beliefs that you don't have for other people's satisfaction. That would be so tiring. I, I do genuinely believe that a lot of the, uh, as you say, grifters, whether on your the, the left or the right of politics, are actually pretty moderate. 
And if they were just to have a conversation at a pub with you, might be fairly moderate. But oh, yeah. because of their persona, because of the fact that they have however million, however many million subscribers on YouTube or Twitch or whatever, it does have to be all or nothing. You know, f- go in full guns blazing, even if mm-hmm. they don't actually believe but it. But it is far easier to be a grifter for the right than the left. Also true. People on the right hate, and that's that's basically their their the reason for their vote is just <laughs> I hate something, whether it be immigrants or like equality or all of this stuff. Whereas people on the left just kind of like are very varied <laughs> in comparison <laughs> and hate each other more right, than right. Uh, anything else. There's so much infighting and divi- and dividing that it is hard to become this kind of like peak grifter for all of the left because somebody in the left is going to hate you as soon as you're known. You're liberal, but you're not liberal enough. Yeah, and I'm kind of oversimplifying because there's a diversity of thought on the right, but uh, <laughs> yeah. the grifters there are far more successful than the grifters on the left. I could actually not really name a successful lefty grifter right now. Anyway, how's things? How are, how are you? What's happening? I'm all right. I've, uh, I'm trying to take care of my health. I've been calling the physio and all these things that you kind of start to do when you actually start to care about yourself again. So we're reaching good. a good point. Excellent. How about you? Yeah, good. I had a, a bit of a manic 10 days or so. I had my godson who turned three. Uh, on Saturday, I had a, a friend of mine get married. So I had another COVID wedding Ooh. on Sunday, which was was really good fun, even though I'm not entirely convinced the staff were big on the enforcing rules side of things but ah. you know I, th- I think they could see Nicola Sturgeon's announcement coming and just thought you know it's fine it's fine we're I know we're I know we're seven days early yeah but yeah it's fine we'll just open the windows and we'll open all the doors and that'll count <laughs> so Great. it's been yeah it's been good it's been busy I've enjoyed it but I'm more saddened by the fact that it is now August uh-huh already yes and we are already like slowly slowly crawling to the end of another year i know that sounds ridiculous but it's august how's august happens ah. every year and it's always a surprise uh, it does it always takes me by surprise i hope that they figure out like what part of the brain is to blame for that and we can just remove it so i'm no longer surprised by the passing of time it would be great i'd, I'd opt in for that just just chuck that part of my brain away please see what happens is there any Sorry, this is getting very deep. Is there any part of you which would want to go back and revisit certain years or certain times and do stuff again, differently? Um, not for my benefit, but I think in the past, I've I've had a lot of harmful views or harmful actions, big or small, that I'd like to just remove from the world um, and get rid of those. So whether it be when I was a, a younger kid and I was kind of mirroring the bullying I experienced by being a bit of a bully, I, I wish I could go back to that younger person and be a bigger brain and go, hey, don't mirror things. Deal with it. Okay. All of that. And the, like, that, that pattern goes on um, for life. So I, like, I wouldn't want to do anything to try and like invest in Bitcoin on day one so I can be a millionaire now. That's, that's, that that's, sucks. I'm quite happy. Yeah. I, I, but I want to remove the harms that I have done more than anything else. I mean, I mean, that was what I was asking, which was more like life consequences rather than, oh, I wish I'd bought Amazon when it was 1997. Okay. Yeah. So, so, so good answer. And I would agree in that for me, it's certainly... Uh, the maturing for myself came very, very late yes. because I only kind of decided who I was, who I was in my early twenties. So, lots of very, very bad decisions a few years ago. Which, if I had, if I could go back and do again, of course I would. But if I, uh, this is the, the the conversation I had. If I had made all the right choices, maybe I wouldn't be here. 
So exactly. So I think in some way your experiences, good or bad, both indeed are actually what shape you. And here we are, here we are, Seas Operate, starting with a philosophical point of the day. Episode, it's all downhill from here. Episode 259. <laughs> we'll see. I am Colin, and he is James. Yeah, I am. Sorry, I had to think about that. I had to think about that. Thank you so much for listening. Really do appreciate it. I had lots of you get in touch, and uh, a couple of uh, you actually sent in some audio, Whoa. which is amazing. Uh, one of which is a review and one of which is actually a contribution to the start of the show. So uh, before we go any further, this is, of course, your new favourite podcast, the longest running season one of any Scottish entertainment podcast recorded in the Central Belt with two people who are related to each other in the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can get in touch. Oh, sorry. Well, so also less popular than fascism. And that is a fact. You can get in touch with us at Seesaw Parade on Twitter or Seesaw Parade at gmail.com, as some of you have done. Mm. So, and you know what? Fascism is on the rise, unlike the podcast. So please invert that. <laughs> Make us be on the rise and, and get rid of the fascism, please. Well, well, Spotify and getting ourselves on Spotify has certainly helped in terms of uh, reaching more people. So that is a good thing. And uh, that is what our, our first contribution of the day is actually all about. And it is oh. from Chiss. Chiss has got in touch with the show and he has this to say. Hello, it's Chris here. Um, now, since your podcast went on Spotify, I've pretty much listened to every episode. Can't believe it. And I, I kind of feel like I'm the, the that kind of guy that goes to a metal gig, grabs a couple of pints, uh-huh. stands right at the back, oh. enjoys the whole experience, but yeah. doesn't get involved with the wall of death. That's me. Um but I feel like my time's come, so I'm about to launch myself into yon mosh pit. It's braver than I. So I heard my name mentioned on last week's episode, and I thought I'd get back in touch to confirm that, yes, indeed, I do believe you can be self-deprecating on, on occasions. I think that's just the Scottish way, that's an, but... That's an understatement. You're, you don't need to be, I, I, I would say, because the podcast is very good. Oh. Production is obviously high, like you're saying. Uh, content's very good. It gives me... Uh, a lot of updates on the news and, and things that I would have missed otherwise and recommendations in terms of entertainment and stuff. So, yeah, it's excellent. And, Aww. James, I've got to say, huh? I've laughed out loud a couple of times to your witty remarks and comments. A couple. Um, Colin, mm, maybe less so. Um, but, One then. No, I'm just kidding. But, uh, yeah, no, it's it's really good. I, uh, I enjoy listening to it every week or whenever the episodes come out. I'd also like to categorically deny the claims that I used the term L'Oreal to describe Colin. Uh, This is totally unfounded, (laughs) and I will be pursuing legal action. Thank you. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Yeah, so to be clear, Uh, I am worth it, but just not in a branded sense. Okay, yeah, I I understood. I'll tell you what, I'm kind of glad we're an audio-only little podcast, because I got my big blushies on, and we like hiding those. (laughs) Well, that actually sounds like a, both an item of clothing and also a highly emotional state. I've got my big blushies on. What would big blushies be if, if it was clothes? I am picturing the the world's giant, most cushion-like slippers. Blushies. Oh, nice. Yeah, blushies. Like, I like genuine pillows for your feet. All right. That's a blushie. Let's hear everybody else's ideas for what the big blushies are if it's an item of clothing. I, I will wear it. <laughs>
Oh, okay. Uh, to add to that, thank you, Chess, for getting in touch. Uh, Tokyo Podcast also replying to say that the self-deprecating aspect is very much a, a British thing, uh-huh. uh, and that just as humans, we appear to be very self-deprecating True. at an individual level. Uh, and also, he uh, thanked us for our excellent promo <laughs> he did for his <laughs> podcast. So you can listen to that Tokyo podcast, which is, uh, yeah, it's very, very good if you like deep, diverse, thinky subjects. So basically the total opposite of this show. Hey. Uh, but yeah, go, che- go check that out. And also, uh, James, we have, <laughs> remarkably, a callback to episode 63. 63. Okay. Right. So Elspeth got in touch okay. to say that, and I actually can't quite believe someone has done this, they have gone back to the very start Terrible of the fun. show Terrible and are listening to every single episode. Don't do it. Don't do that to me. And I lied. It was not, it's not even episode 63. It's episode 17. Okay, That's a very different number, Colin. <laughs> I don't really know where I got the 63 from, but here is... A clip from episode 17, oh dear. which Elspeth listened to no. and thought, hey, I would like to bring this to your attention. Oh, that's already painful. I don't know. So here is the clip. This is 2015. Okay. I'm 2015. Here, I am not ready. Here we go. Yes, Boris is in the cabinet. Oh, well, tell oh, him to get out then. <laughs> Boris, you're not supposed <laughs> to be in cabinet. Boris. Oh, Boris, you silly you. Why why are you in a cabinet? Seriously, Boris for PM. Yep. Boris for PM. Boris should have the cabinet. Boris for PM. I remember it. I remember it. It was a joke back then. 2015. It was a really funny joke imagining (laughs) Boris having any career trajectory uh, that relied on people thinking he's dependable. Unbelievable. When she sent that to me, I thought, oh my days, we've actually done it again. We've predicted the future. We did, and I remember doing it, and it just feels like pain. And, you know, it was much like the Trump presidency. Oh, yeah. On paper, Boris as PM should just be nothing. His party who sits behind him should have integrity, and nothing bad should be able to happen because he's just a figurehead. Right. But it turns out that much like the Republicans... Their Conservative Party has no backbone and no integrity, and therefore Boris as PM sucks and is definitely not a funny joke to make, and I regret it. I shouldn't have made the future happen. I'm sorry I did this to us. But I also think that six years ago, politics and the world generally were a very different place. Mad. Of course, the Tories were on a certain trajectory, but this is pre-Brexit, pre-Trump, pre-everything, and I do believe over the last six years we have seen an even tougher, hard-line version of the Tories emerge, whereas, as you say, and we've become even more uh, divided along partisan lines, because 2015 it was like, oh, Davey Cameron, what a guy. And oh, look at silly old Boris. Ha <laughs> Boris for PM. And then, lo and behold, six years later, here we are. Yeah. What what a world, James. What a world. I, I hate it. Thank you. I hate <laughs> yeah, it. Thank you so much for getting in touch. And you can do, if you disagree, agree, would like to comment on, or just tell us what's happening, you can do at Operate on Twitter, Operate at gmail.com, or you can just yeah. message us like regular people. Yeah, I, as though I am a regular person, yes. Uh, we are both very regular, definitely normal people. Mm-hmm. Okay, so get in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you. Let's crack on with the show. And James, we're going to start... This is new for us with COVID. Can't believe it. Tell me more about this. Um, when you say COVID, it's it's COVID. Or if if I was speaking to you in Gaelic, it would be coronavirus. <laughs>
Okay, so let's talk about this. Uh, <laughs> Gallic is the worst. Coronavirus <laughs> in uh, Alaba, which is. Uh, Gallic is also the best, don't worry. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so let's go back to uh, Burla. And this is the uh, news that almost all of Scotland's remaining COVID-19 restrictions are set to end yes. from August 9th, which is this Monday coming. So, Nicola Sturgeon... We're entering level sub-zero. Sub, no, I think it's beyond level zero, which sounds like either a film <laughs> name or like the final the final part of a game like beyond level zero that's your boss level was just giving levels was clearly a bad idea but here we are level minus one level minus 0.5 so uh yeah nicholas sturgeon said social distancing will be dropped in most settings meaning more capacity in pubs and restaurants yes and larger crowds at sporting events and concerts for example transmit the big festival which was due to happen and has been happening in glasgow for the last few years is set to go ahead in september with up to fifty thousand people and uh, football stadiums across the country including uh, celtic and rangers may well be back to full capacity as of next week they just need to permit Wow. from the local council and uh, that apparently looks very, very likely. Also what's changing, uh, close contacts of those who test positive for COVID no longer have to self-isolate. So I need to come up with a different excuse for why I can't do things every single week. And as long as the person yeah, is... I revert back to just saying no instead of saying no COVID, sorry. <laughs> sorry, I got, I got pinged. I got pinged. I can't. I just have to stay inside. Anyway... Uh, they don't have to self-isolate as long as they are fully vaccinated and test negative. And on that point, James, I have my second vaccination coming up in a couple of weeks' time. Oh, uh, well done you. Uh, thank you. However, the wearing of face, uh, of face coverings uh, will continue, and particularly in secondary schools, staff will need to maintain uh, one metre physical distancing for the first six weeks of term. Wow. <laughs> and, and twice weekly test. Sorry, you have to maintain it for the first six weeks, then what? Six weeks. Then he was like, "Oh, it's fine. Yeah, it's, it's fine. The, co- the the COVID is gone. I got bored yeah. after six weeks of school. I was like, you know what? I've heard enough about it. the suffragettes. I'm off to suffer somewhere else. And yeah, now I can now I can look over your shoulder while you're in class. Yes. <laughs> okay. So the first minister also said a gradual approach will be taken to returning workers to offices. Uh, warning, of course, the virus still poses real challenges. So, yeah. uh, James, before we talk about. Um, the, the the change in the, the rules, because of course England is, has been doing this for a couple of weeks now. The number of cases has fallen markedly from this peak of the third wave. It has. Uh, Ms Sturgeon confirmed that uh, the infection rate had fallen by two thirds since early July. So this is, and I'm glad to be seeing this, a far cry from the 100,000 cases a day we were predicted yes. by a certain scientist in SAGE. Uh, and that is good. Yeah, infections are dropping, hospitalizations are dropping, deaths are very, very low and have been for a couple of weeks now. So where are we with this? Because to me, I feel most people are already kind of taking their their feet off the gas and chilling a little bit more. And that's because, yeah, people feel like, oh, we, we might have turned a corner here. There has been a turn of the exponential curve and we've dropped back down to a steady kind of plateau over the last few days um, of case rates. So I am glad, very glad to be quite incorrect by saying it's going to keep going up because we're opening up even though the numbers are rising. I'm glad that even though the numbers are rising and reopened anyway, that Scotland's uh, decreasing case rate has continued and that England has like, halved its case rate um and I, 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 I do hope that this means that things 
can remain steady in the near future, even if we're introducing things like transmit and huge massive stadiums full of people and all that stuff. And I guess a big part of that is just the vaccination program has been pretty great. Scotland now the most effective uh, vac- uh, vaccination program in the UK uh, and now amongst the lowest of the case rates. Yep. Uh, England following close behind. Northern Ireland had a bit of a spike, but their numbers are usually quite low. So I don't know what we're expecting to see except the vaccinations to continue spreading to the younger age groups. We're still getting cases uh, in the like teens to early 20s and even early 30s and stuff. But all, all we can look for is like who next is getting some some vaccines. And especially since we're looking at you and people of your and my age getting their second doses now instead of just having the first dose. I'm more hopeful than I was a couple of weeks ago. I don't think that answered your question very much, but hey, oh, <laughs> no, it was a good answer. So to, to me, I would much rather have been pessimistic and looking at the worst case scenario than saying, oh, no, it's fine, boys. Just go out and do whatever you like. Yeah. And the the, the fact is, and having been in England this past weekend for my, my godson's birthday, the consensus there is that most people are actually still wearing masks anyway. Yes. So even though there is no legal requirement, you know, I would say everybody I spoke to over over the weekend was still like, well, it, it just makes sense it instead of going into a Tesco where there are a thousand people and in the past hour there have been 5,000 people and they're all touching everything. And, you know, why wouldn't you wear a mask? Why It just makes sense. So for some aspects of that... It just makes sense to dodge the cold. Yeah, well, precisely. And I, I made the point that I've, I have had one cold in the last 18 months and that's been brilliant. And it's because I've seen so few people, but it's also because we're now actually making this... Like a normal thing, hand sanitizer and, and face mask. Great. So my only my only point uh, to this, or a couple of points, James. You mentioned the teenage rate uh, of of uh, people who are still being infected. The vaccine is going to be offered to every sixteen and seventeen year old in the UK. Yeah. Uh, after a recommendation from experts, they have been talking about this for a long time, humming and hawing over do we uh, vaccinate uh, the older teens? And the answer now is yes. So. Uh, the first jab and then the, the second jab will come later on, say the JCVI. Yeah, the, but on the point of, of vaccine, sorry, on the point of vaccinations, and you mentioned the full stadiums there. It's just because I've now been conditioned to avoid massive crowds that I see this idea of sixty thousand people yeah. being in Celtic Park no. and fifty thousand people being in Ibrox. I know they're both outside, but it still makes me go, oh, yeah, no, no, that, no. that just sounds like a, that just sounds like a bad idea. Even yeah, though I, I, I am completely in agreement, and infection rates going down, all that stuff going down, great. It makes if you want to do that, fine. I'm not going to be rushing out to do it myself. No, but. If we're allowed, okay, because, yeah, numbers are going in the right direction. My question, James, is we've seen, particularly in the States, but we may well start to see it soon in the UK, if you want to go to a concert, you have to show proof that you've been vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? Yeah, no, so you're seeing this idea of apps to prove your vaccination status and things like that, and it seems to be the case that most countries are leaning towards doing this. I think... But while things are mandated at a business level, I've got absolutely no complaint. Every single premises chooses its own thing, and that's fine by me. Um, I think it's going to be somewhat strange if we're on one hand being told that the virus is something we're going to have to learn to live with and treat as though it's the flu, while treating the flu or treating it like the flu would be just kind of assuming that people who need vaccines have vaccines and not closing out. Right. 
locations to those who haven't had a flu vaccine in the last year. So I think there's an imbalance between the messaging in that way of like, hey, this is going to be just like the flu, but there's a specific passport for it, unlike the flu. Um, and I want that to be balanced. I, I do lean more towards individual uh, liberty when it comes to uh, where you can go and what you can do on a national level. But when it comes to businesses making their own minds up or councils making their minds up about premises and things like that, absolutely, they can do whatever they please uh, because that's the system we voted for. But there needs to be more consistency with the messaging because it does completely clash with this idea that we're going to start just living with the virus because that would require no extra passports, for example. Yeah, vaccine passports will continue to be uh, an issue. But one we were seeing in Scotland today, which actually made me laugh, is vertical drinking. Did you see this? No, I haven't. I haven't seen this one. (laughs) Okay. right. So just just if I'm asking you right now, what is vertical drinking? Um, A straw. Okay. Anything else? No, it's just like on a straw. It's a straw. You can drink vertically if you use a straw. Otherwise, you have to tip the glass, which isn't vertical anymore. Because to me, it's like right vertical drinking versus what horizontal drinking after you've had however many pints. Like, what are you talking about? So, to give you an explanation to beat this jargon of vertical drinking, right? This is uh, John Swinney, who has been appearing on the podcast more and more recently. Yeah, not in a good, not in a good way. Yeah, uh, he was asked today on a, a news program. If you're in Scotland and you buy a drink at the bar, can you stand at the bar and drink it? Now, that is vertical drinking rather than take it back to your seat and be still vertical but seated. That's called vertical but seated drinking. Okay. So Mr. Swinney's answer was no. You can go up to the bar with your mask and you can buy the drink, but then you have to go and sit down. Right. Whereas, makes sense. four hours later, the head of the Scotland's pubs and bars people right. said, no, we've been given the green light that people oh. can go back and they can do that again. They can stand at the bar if they right. like. Okay. So it sounds like someone didn't know the rules. Right. But it's to me, it's almost like a good thing that this is now what we're talking about. It's, can you stand at a bar and drink alcohol rather than just stay inside and don't see anyone at all, at all costs. Yeah, it's pretty cool to be debating the, the micro of pub behaviour rather than the micro of how to stay in a room successfully. It's a nice little step forward and hopefully we can remain uh, safe while while loosening up all these restrictions. I think the nightclub restrictions are kind of which is completely gone, which is mind-blowing to me. I haven't quite figured it out. Right. I, I believe there's not much going to be left in terms of restrictions in a nightclub environment, which seems strange when pubs and stuff are having to still jump through loops. I think um, you still have to wear your mask if you're dancing in the club. Okay. Well, wear your mask. I'm not sure who's going to be going out, but here's my other point, which is who's going to be enforcing this? You know, the staff will be busy serving drinks. Yeah. The bouncers will be busy chucking people out. Who's going around all these people to say, Mask on, mask, mask on, or you're getting chucked out. Like, who's doing that? No one's doing that. And that's what I found at, these, uh, at the wedding on, on Sunday in Bella Houston Park, which was there was no one enforcing the rules of, of to mask or not mask because after several drinks, people have long forgotten the the uh, current, as of yeah, yeah. August the 4th, law to wear a mask if you're inside. So that's the challenge, which is... If it's no longer legally enforceable and it's just recommendations, yeah. then no one's going to do it. And so we'll just go back to 
kind of life as as it was and there's just not enough people to actually enforce it anyway and no one wants to be that guy who's in the garage being like oh excuse excuse me pal can you put your can you put your mask on uh, oh, oh sorry okay all right oh you you, you can't eat. oh you've got asthma okay fine yeah it's gonna be hard to mandate but i think the the hope is that there's enough people or the majority of people in the in the nation have learned that it's just the, the the right thing to do and they won't need to be reminded too often or told too often people will be having a mask at hand so it will just be a request that is uh granted pretty easily um and it's going to be important because we still have amongst the highest case rates in the world and because our case rates are so high, even though we have a good vaccination program, we've still got a death rate similar to the United States, for example, things like that. So we are still pretty bad overall. And therefore, the more compliance we see with suggestions rather than laws, the better, because the less likely we are to re-enter the very pessimistic outlook that, that you and I tend to lean towards. Okay, right, let's move on. Let's talk the Olympics, which are ongoing in Tokyo. We are actually... Uh, we're here. The competition is taking place. And yeah, we haven't talked about it yet. We took a big break. I know all this years, all the years and episodes of talking about this, and we've missed the last twelve days. Can't believe it. What timing? Anyway, the main stories coming out of it are: I'm going to start with Simone Biles, mentioned at the the start of the show, at the four-time Olympic gold medal winner. Decided to pull out the competition mm-hmm. uh, last week, the all-round final because she said that she needed to prioritize her mental health. Now, that got Indeed. overwhelming praise from high-profile figures in sport, in entertainment, and in some cases, politics. Uh, the 24-year-old tweeted to say that the support she'd shown was worth more than all of her accomplishments and gymnastics. And uh, yeah, she came back and she took part in, hey. I think it was the beam, and she won a bronze. And it meant that everybody in the US gymnastics team had had won a medal. So I think my mum would be very pleased well that everyone got something. Everyone won something. Yeah, it's good when nobody loses. Well, it, it, Precisely, yeah. And we've seen this actually before with, uh, with some other celebrities. And then we also saw Ben Stokes, the English cricketer, who decided also to pull out of his, uh, I believe it was the English cricket team's tour, uh, to take an indefinite break from all cricket. Uh, Yes, he withdrew from a five-test series. Uh, said he would be prioritising his mental well-being. Mm-hmm. So, James, there's a, a couple of points here because we mentioned uh, Piers Morgan. He was one of the main cheerleaders of slagging off Simone Biles for yeah. deciding to actually look after herself rather than perform for everyone's entertainment. And, uh, yeah, he wasn't alone in that. There were some other people who decided that she deserved a lot of criticism for this. Uh, whilst Ben Stokes who, of course, is, uh, is is white and English, was not given any sort of criticism. Not, not to the same degree at all, no. No, in, indeed. And some people were saying, well, no, he also has injured his finger, so therefore he's fine. Oh, yeah, 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 it's fine. It's minor injury. Completely changes it. This, this sort of polarizing reaction, as much as I agree it was overwhelmingly positive, is still very sad yeah. that this is what we're getting, particularly from 56-year-old men. Who quit their show because somebody argued with them once. <laughs> Precisely. And uh, to to someone who's performing at the very top of her game, who's one of the most famous athletes in the world, dealing with all that pressure and saying, you know what, actually, I'm not going to go out there because I'm not going to be my best. And instead, I'm just going to take time for me. Yeah. I, and that's something which which really dis- was disappointing, but completely unsurprising to see. Well, especially since it's, he's something he's done before and very recently. Um, and a lot of other people have done it before and very recently as well. Uh, lots of 
players, it seems, have started to actually care about their mental health a little bit more than they have even until like the last a few years ago. It seems to be something that more people are able to prioritize and put first to the cost of like the removing themselves from a contest. Yeah. And then it just shows the true colors of all the patriots and all the commenters and all of the negative people who clearly value a meaningless victory over someone's legit mental health and, and well-being. Um, when somebody is competing, it, it puts a stress in them that us who do not compete cannot really comprehend. Uh, and I'm sure every single one of us has faced things in a day or a week or a year that makes us quit something or makes us want to put something aside. And to to be able to jump through the loop of having all of these struggles in our personal lives to then ex- just yelling and screaming disappointment at somebody who sets aside a minute or two of their professional life for their well-being or even a year or two is mind-blowing to me. But people will do it because it gets them attention. A loud, angry voice gets clicks. And that's Piers's job and it's what he wants to do. And he's a negative, horrible human being uh, with the vast majority of the time because it is profitable for him. And then everybody else is, who's complaining is like either projecting their own disappointments or is patriotic for all the wrong reasons and have been misled into that kind of occultish behavior. And none of it's pleasant. And I just wish that people could take care of their mental health without having some clap back from a bunch of idiots especially when it is so imbalanced towards when it is a woman who does it or when it's someone uh, a person of color who does it compared to just when white men do anything it's just like okay (laughs) go ahead i believe Djokovic was one of the voices who came out to say like yeah you just got to deal with it in sports and then he spends his whole time on the court smashing tennis rackets and whatnot (laughs) i was gonna say of all the people to talk about that the last clip i saw of novak Djokovic was in the semi-final of the tennis at at tokyo and two occasions one in which he launched his racket into the stands yeah and thank goodness there was no uh no audience or spectators there and the second one he he absolutely wallops his racket off the the ground or it was perhaps off the uh, the metal barrier holding up the net destroys the racket and you're thinking yeah exactly this is something which needs to be rectified and and that's that's what he wants everybody to be like to deal with it by just lashing out at stuff i guess Yes, because, uh, because anger is a well-known way of dealing with your emotion. Yeah, yeah. But I don't, I don't see the path forward except to carry on trying to be louder than the negative voices. Okay, one, uh, a couple more points to talk about. Britain are currently fourth in the medal table. Turns out they can do things. Although they can do things at a similar trajectory to the last two Olympics, to be fair to us. <laughs> right. So some, uh, some people can do things very nicely on a, a horse. We uh-huh. saw someone, a 13-year-old Sky uh, won. It became the youngest British Olympian Olympic medalist ever mm-hmm. winning the uh, winning bronze in the freestyle skateboarding which was was awesome to see yeah and uh, one thing I do want to talk about though is the rowing right okay bear with me here yes absolutely the uh, Brits and the British rowing people have have notoriously and historically been very good at <laughs> rowing <laughs> and rowing very fast and rowing faster than anyone else and especially like rowing over a distance oh precisely and this year at Tokyo I believe they won one rowing medal, despite the fact that it receives more funding from the uh, the sporting bodies than any other sport 
at the Olympics. I think it was twenty-four million pounds they what? got. Wow! Well, which I, is you know absolutely insane, considering that some people, to the kind sorry, of people sorry, who are into the hobby, it's, it's pocket change. For some people at Tokyo, there was a BMX rider who won silver. Who had to crowdfund wow. to actually get her there? Wow. So that to me is something which, again, has to be looked at. There's absolutely no way yeah. you can give 24 million pounds to an elite sport like rowing. Yeah. Because let's be honest, that is for private schoolboys. Yes. And people who went to Oxford and Cambridge. Yeah, but- versus a BMX, which is accessible to a lot of people in but, the UK. But of course they're going to do that. The Olympics is funded with the lottery, right? At least most of it, or a lot of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So therefore, it's a it's a poor people tax. The lottery is for poor people. You tax the poor by pretending they're going to be rich, by encouraging them to pay for the lottery, which then pays for the rich people's sports. So the rich people don't have to pay for their own sports. This just makes complete sense when you think about the way that the wealthy and the poor of the nation are treated in general. It's just another reflection of it. Okay, uh, one more topic I want to talk about. It's Laurel Hubbard, who was the New Zealand weightlifter who made history this week, uh, became the first openly trans woman Mm -hmm. to compete at the Olympics. Now, there were lots and lots of comments and different views posted online about this and uh, Laurel attempted to, had three lifts failed all of them and uh, 43 then made uh, her announcement that she was actually going to retire. Yeah. So James, yeah. you're as I mentioned, a lot of people very divided over this but I would want to draw attention to certain people who were saying that ah, she she was just wanting to, to cash in. She knew that she couldn't win in the males, and so she wanted to, to win in the, the... She saw she saw it as an easier she just, way. She just flipped her gender to make it easy to win the right. women's, yes. She, okay, so just to be clear, Laurel Hubbard transitioned 10 years ago. Yes. And has uh, gone through all the trials and tribulations, I can't even imagine what that's like, to then compete in the Olympics, which the New Zealand Olympic Committee have said, yep, because of what the rules say, mm-hmm. and you match all the rules, and you're one of our best weightlifters, you can go. Completely fair selection process, yes. Yeah, and, and Tokyo 2020 say, okay, here's the selection process if you want to compete in the women's weightlifting category. Yeah. Okay, you've ticked all the boxes, you can compete. And do you know how hard it is to compete in women's categories at the Olympics? And, and, and third of all, after going through all that, to then go out in the first round... Yeah. ...substantially below what the winner lifted, which was remarkable, by the way... That, to me, is a sign and the evidence to me that this was someone who just wanted to compete yeah. in her sport. Indeed. She wasn't like, oh, you know what? I, I, can't, I can't win the men. I could win the women. Yeah. Don't be ridiculous. This person clearly, clearly has gone through the every single hoop and hurdle and barrier to just be able to stand in front of people and lift something heavy. And she wasn't very good at it, but she did it and she was allowed to do it. And that's all I'm going to say and about she it. She was at an Olympic level, to be fair. Well, it should, did better than I did, or I could. Yep. And this, there was just this weird idea that it's just really simple to flip your gender to compete as the opposite and get an easy win. It's just provably incorrect, just with the fact <laughs> that it doesn't happen. <laughs> um, there are occasions where a poor selection process in, let's say, regional sports will lead to somebody having an unfair advantage because they haven't transitioned yet and somehow they've been selected anyway or they've made it into the competition anyway. But it is so hard to compete in the women's events at the Olympics that very often, or at least often enough that it happens, 
women can't compete at them. People who are like biologically female, they've got too much testosterone or they don't pass one of the other tests okay. where they have to jump through many, many a hoop just to be able to maybe compete themselves. Never mind the extra hoops you have to do if you're if you're transitioning. So just um, on that point, as a woman. on that point, the, I want to say Namibian runner, Christine Mboma, who's 18, was banned from the 400 meters at this year's Olympics because her testosterone levels are too high. She was allowed to run in the 200. I don't know why. Right. Uh, that's what the rule said. That's what the rule said. And uh, I think she got a silver. She she got to the final anyway. But she's someone who is who is born a woman, who is a cis woman, and uh, just naturally had too much testosterone. Yeah, and if the rules are so stringent that cis women struggle to compete sometimes because they 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 just are so high up the curve, that surely you have to recognize that a trans woman can't possibly have any advantages lagging behind. Um, and still be able to be competing at a level that these women, cis women, were unable to meet and and are surpassing. It's mind-blowing to me that there's this complaint at all, especially now as though it's new when trans people have been allowed to compete in the Olympics for the last two two events as well. And there was not many of them and there weren't any winners. I believe Laurel is the first openly trans one to actually compete. I think the other one, uh, they, they, they have been allowed, yeah. Exactly. So the selection process is the selection process is so hard that they are an underrepresented in a population level. <laughs> um, if you if you look at the stats for how many people are trans, and then you look at the stats for how many Olympic athletes are trans, they're underrepresented. There should be more. Right. And then there's also the second side of the coin. What about um, female to male transitions, or what about people who are non-binary? How are you? Are you fitting them into your arguments about who has an advantage? Well, or just not? just an- all these people who are like people should compete with their biological gender, or their biological sex rather. What are they wanting people who have transitioned from female to male to compete in the female category? I I think that wouldn't be the case. Yeah. So it's inconsistent. There is very much a, a discussion to be had at the IOC about what they're doing about this. And we did talk about Castor Semenya in the past, mm-hmm. who I believe, I'm not sure if she was banned from this Olympics or she was just, she failed to qualify, but she has been banned in the past. Well, she's had endless struggles competing. She actually had, and I was reading about this uh, today, she had like a sex organs check. Someone actually as part of hey are you allowed to be at this olympics had the most invasive i don't know procedure or invasive tick box ever wow which is okay we need to to to, someone to actually look at what you've got there and only once we're satisfied with your junk we will let you race when again there's so there's so many different parts of uh of people's stories that are are split in the middle that i just put myself in in her shoes or uh, let's say it was my my niece or my daughter my imaginary daughter Mm -hmm. if i had a daughter who was born and she had higher levels of testosterone or whatever it was and was then being told we know that you're a woman but you can't compete i'd be i'd be furious I don't know what I would deal with that. Yeah. And also, it leads on to an argument of if, if there are certain um, elements which you would say give people an unfair advantage, Michael Phelps, the uh, legendary swimmer, was physiologically yeah. getting 
I want to say less than half the lactic acid of a regular person. He had a biologically unfair advantage. Right. So I read this this morning. You see, he actually, his body produces less lactic acid, which meant he could be, he could go for longer without getting fatigued. Yeah. And also, I want to say he was, he had double jointed ankles or something with his ankles. Yes. Which gave him a, an advantage with uh, with kicking. And no one was like, oh, hold on. Michael Phelps needs to go in his own category because he's got an unfair advantage with his ankles. And he's, yeah. he's got an unfair advantage with his lactic acid. If the rules say, uh, yeah. here's all the things you have to be. And if you're in that category, great. Then that applies for everybody. Yeah. It's not just for gender. It applies for oh, is this person six foot seven? Therefore, they have their un- unfair advantage. We have to have a category for people over six foot. Yeah, and this is this is where it breaks down is the inconsistency of the bigoted side, where they're only bigoted to a certain degree, and at some point they're like, oh yeah, but that's fine. When, when it's like more ex- normal and more acceptable for them, they just have to stop their bigotry and go. I, I suppose that's okay. Like basketball doesn't need to have a, a a height category for each individual inch and have massive amounts of uh, leagues to to cover all the different advantages because that would be ridiculous. But it comes to women's sports and everybody gets hyper bigoted, <laughs> and it disgusts me. And especially considering. The, all the other problems we're seeing in women's sports where they are objectified instead of celebrated as, as athletes and they're treated as dolls instead of celebrated as champions. Did you see, I think it was the Danish beach volleyball team who wore shorts rather than bikini bottoms and they were fined because... Mm, yeah, Danish Netherlands, one of the European teams, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they said, oh no, actually we'd rather wear shorts than bikini bottoms and uh, they got fined for it, which is yeah. unbelievable. And like you got to wonder who was in charge of writing the regulations for what the women in beach volleyball wear. I'm going I to guess it was a man. They had a bias towards being a creep, <laughs> and it's that that kind of imbalance already plagues so many of the sports. And the women have already jumped through so many hurdles, and then we we everybody's being even extra bigoted, trying to keep other women out of the sport and trying to keep. Uh, women who are like people who are intersex out of this sport and that's just biologically intersex and it it, it melts my brain that people can be so openly bigoted and they will get platformed by the news media and they'll just get allowed to say it all out loud when it's just wrong (laughs) we did have some russian tv channels um call i think it was gay people psychopaths after tom daly won a gold yeah uh, last week but no it it happens here as, as well not to the same degree but if you think about like Tom Daly's career, I mean, congratulations, he's finally got the gold and whatnot. But you think about his career and his reception in the UK, it's always been this imbalance of like, yes, there is praise, but there are so many loud voices being openly bigoted towards the guy. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Um, mocking every element of his personal life and trying to bring him down. And we're trying to act like we are an equal nation, that we treat everybody fairly when you can see the career of one of our greatest athletes is just so horribly uh, scarred by so many people saying disgusting things. And like, come on, like if it happens to him, it's got to be happening to so many others. And how, how difficult it must be to be a part of British sports if you aren't just completely exactly what the public views as, in quotes, normal.
Well, let's uh, go into a classic seesaw parade handbrake turn and go into something nice and light. This is uh, the review section of the show where we talk about what we've been watching or listening to in the last uh, week. James, I have got two movies and we also have a listener review uh-huh. of some music, of an album. Nice. Uh, what do you have? I got a TV show and a film. Oh, okay, right. Well, I'm I'm going to start because I want to. Okay. And then we'll go to uh, to Amel, and then I'll go over to you, and then we'll we'll ping pong it. We'll come back the way. Nice. So I'm going to tell you about a Quiet Place Two, Ooh. which is the sequel to a Quiet Place. I'm sorry, I'm I'm wrong. It's actually part two. It's not two. So. And the, the word part is important because this is clearly just gonna oh. go on and on, which actually is okay. Oh, so this is uh, the sequel to the uh, the smash hit original with Mr. John Krasinski uh, directing. He is um, uh, in a terrific flashback sequence at the start, but uh, spoilers. It's a flashback sequence for a reason, so uh, without going any further about the original. And he's behind the camera for the rest of the film. To me, what made the original Quiet Place so good was that it maybe had two minutes of dialogue. There was one scene. There was one scene in the entire movie where two characters had a conversation because they were sitting next to a waterfall and therefore it it was noisy enough that they could talk. And what made that film work was it was so atmospheric despite having, as I say, all but two minutes of people walking very quietly. So they had to make this film different. You're unable to replicate the original, the cat's out the bag, you've done the whole quiet movie thing already, you've got to do this differently. So whilst it is still a quiet movie, there is a lot more dialogue than before and there's a lot of signing. There's a huge amount of this film which is done in sign language. Nice. And nice. across the board, the acting here is is just top-notch. You've got Emily Blunt, of course, in the lead role, and Killian or Cillian Murphy, best known as uh, oh, yeah. from his role in Peaky Blinders, as the, uh, the co-lead in this one, as well as some kid actors, Millicent Simmons and Noah Jupe, who are both tremendous. Good. So... <laughs> This movie, I really, really did enjoy this. I don't think it's as good as the first, but it's it's very, very different. Killian Murphy is absolutely superb. The storytelling is incredibly well done. And the way, as I mentioned, the way it's been done as A Quiet Place Part 2, plus the ending that it gives in this movie, okay. clearly shows that this story has they got plans. legs. It's got, it's got chapters. It's got machinations. There is, there is absolutely no epilogue it just ends like the action something happens action happens and you think whoa and then the credits roll so there's there's very much a part three on the way coming next and the one thing i would say not this fall do you remember my general feeling about stranger things which is i just want mikey's pain (laughs) to end just let them have peace i just want him to have a nice life the thing is I, i have exactly the same feeling for Emily Blunt. <laughs> you're, you're so empathetic. It's adorable. And the thing is, like Emily Blunt is such a phenomenal actress that she, her acting traumatized is so convincing. Right. I just want her to be okay. Yeah. Just yeah. want there. Just like, can we please just let this family live and not be torn apart by these horrible, horrible monster things? So, 
overall, if, if the if the films are as high quality and enjoyable as this one, and nerve shredding too, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, then uh, then bring it on. Let's have some more. Uh, I'm I'm looking forward to trying to watch trying to watch these ones. I, I've, I've I've been meaning to get around to them. Yeah, absolutely. It's a really good time, and as long as you are okay with maybe not sleeping for a few days, then you're you're all good. <laughs> if your heart can stand a ninety minutes of tension. Indeed. Okay, let's move on. Listener review has come in from ML. Thank you. And uh, she is talking about uh, some music, an album that she's been checking out. So without further ado, here is ML. Hello, Seesaw Parade. Hello. It's ML, back with another review. I did actually start to do a review of a cleaning product, but then caught myself and remembered that's very tragic. So stop, stop that. And instead started doing this review, which uh, was for the music I was listening to uh-huh. while I cleaned, uh-huh. which was the Gaslighter album by The Chicks, formerly yeah. the Dixie Chicks. Mm-hmm. This album was actually released uh, last summer. So apologies, I'm a bit slow in getting this in. But anyway, never mind. Here we are. Um, now, if you don't know, Natalie Maines is the lead vocalist of The Chicks. And um, very sadly, her marriage, I, I think in the last few years, sort of fell apart. Her husband cheated on her. They got oh. divorced. All very sort of sad and messy, mm-hmm. um, which must have been awful for her. Um, but silver lining for us, we got this absolute <laughs> belter off an album. I feel like all the words I would use to describe this album are super cliche, but... I clearly have quite a limited vocabulary, so I'm just going to have to go for it. I think it's very raw. I think it's very powerful. It's very honest. Um, She does not beat around the bush. Some of it is really savage. I mean, she actually, her husband tried to take her to court so that she wouldn't be able to release this album because he knew she would absolutely burn him on it. And boy, she did. So, um, yeah, there's that really, like honest sort of storytelling that goes on and I like that I like that they're you know they're not really they're, they're older now and they're not sort of trying to be young and cool and down with the youths you know they're still just doing what they've always done being themselves singing their own stories um, about their own lives and I think it's really powerful um, but also has that just brilliant musicality to it that um, is their sort of trademark so you still have that just excellent sort of pop country feel um, to quite what is actually content wise quite a gritty album. And I mean, as with every album in the world, there are some weaker tracks, there are some dull ones, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. but there's so many stonkers. Gaslighter, How Do You Sleep at Night and Juliana Calm Down are probably my top three. Um, and just I really like the feel of it, that there's this sense of... Um, her telling her own story and not saying I'm the victim, poor me, what will I ever do? Um, but also not saying, oh, I'm absolutely fine. I'm a superwoman and this didn't bother me. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. There's a sort of anger and a desire for justice alongside a vulnerability that says, actually, I am. This has broken me and this has been incredibly hard. So if you are looking for an album with a bit of depth, but also that you can absolutely belt in the car, then this is the one for you. Wow. Okay, that's the end. I've run out of things to say. Bye. Bye.
There we go. What a review. I was going to say, I think it's the most in-depth. That's more in-depth than anything I've ever done. I really enjoyed that. It makes me want to listen to the album. I didn't even realize they released one. Yeah, no, thank you very much. If if you, dear listener, have been inspired by that, as I very much have, uh-huh. then you can record your own and send it to us and we'll play it. Please and do. It and tw- it can be 20 seconds long. It'd be 20 minutes long. If it's 20 minutes, I'll edit it a little bit. But other than <laughs> that, just get them in because that was tremendous. Thank you, Amel. Yeah, and, and, and you know what? Um, there is a lot in those Reclamation of Power albums. I do like the sound of it. Those albums can be so good. And I already have a soft spot for the chicks because they refused to be pro-war in the past. And I will will have a soft spot for anybody who does not kowtow to the pro-war Americas. Love that. Okay, James, you watched Tenet. I did. I am very interested to see what you think of Christopher Nolan's Tenet. Okay, I'm I'm gonna do the, a rare thing for me, and I'm gonna start off with like a numerical rating of oh, the film. Oh, okay. Um, I don't usually do this for films, but I think it will help frame the rest of my right opinion. Stop, stop, stop! I want to guess the number. Okay, okay. Four. Yeah. <laughs> is that actually, Wait, out of what? Is it out of ten? Oh no, out of five. Oh no. Oh okay, right. Sorry. Okay, why? Why is it four out of five? It's a four out of five if you do not turn your brain on because this <laughs> film tries to trick you into thinking it's a brain on film, but really it isn't. There is no brain in this film. So I just turned my brain off, and it was really enjoyable. Um, it is maybe one of the most shallow Nolan films that there is. It might be the most shallow one that there is. Um, the concept that they're working with is really cool. It was a really cool concept, a really cool idea, and occasionally very well executed. I agree. And I, I can spoil it. It's it's the idea of things traveling forwards and backwards in time at the flick of a switch. Yep. Um, and they really did a good job of executing some of the moments. And that's about it. The rest of the film is just kind of just really pointlessly long exposition that doesn't go anywhere. Uh, a bunch of characters who are super flat, including, except one character who's good. Um, Neil is a good character. Who I liked. Played by Robert Pattinson. Yep, played by Pattinson very well. Um, and there are elements where there's there's the hints and the clues to who knows what and who's doing what and all of these intelligent things that are going on, but there's just not enough legitimate intelligence to switch your brain on and enjoy the film. So I am refusing to think about the film because the more I think about it, the more I'm not going to like it. Which is where it is I not am. A grower. Which is where I am, which is I spent so long attempting to figure out yeah. the movie, and I'm still not at a point where I could confidently explain what's going on. And I felt the movie was uh, shallow, as you say. I felt the characters were uh, undercooked and half de- half developed. So bland. The fact that the protagonist is literally called the protagonist. Yep. Little things like that. I thought it believed its own hype a bit too much. And whilst the stunt work and whilst the choreography of the fights was undeniably visually stunning, mm-hmm. I just didn't think it worked at all, but uh, hey ho, that's that's yeah. why we're different. I'm gonna say it's kind of like if Zack Snyder made a Nolan film, <laughs> wherein it is all concept and idea and beautiful execution in terms of visual, and then completely lacking in terms of almost everything else. Right. In fact, it doesn't even do sound as well as Snyder does. <laughs> the, the sound was just bad. The 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 mixing was terrible. I had subtitles on and I was still struggling to follow what people were saying. Um, yep, that's that's true. And I, I think it is a problem where Nolan, much like Snyder, much like other directors, need a co-director. 
somebody who's good at writing and executing character, yep. someone who's good at writing and executing dialogue. And they've got to stop trying to do this solo man project. I can do it all myself because they cannot do it all themselves. Clearly, it's established now. Sometimes they've they've been able to put out some good stuff. Nolan's got a few very good films, uh-huh. but the more time goes on, the more he buys into his own superiority over all other human beings. The worse his stuff gets. So turn your brain off. Eight out of ten. Turn your brain on. Probably a four, <laughs> as Colin is suggesting. Okay. I I think overall they did a very good job of tying the timeline together. It is very simple once you kind of put the pieces together, but. It wasn't worth thinking about. Okay, so moving on, I you mentioned Zack Snyder. That's a tentative link to comic books. This is a movie that I've been waiting to see for a long time because uh, it was delayed for the pandemic. It is oh, yeah. Black Widow. It is the yeah. next, or rather, the yeah, the, the first or maybe the second film of Phase Four of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and it is a standalone Scarlett Johansson movie about her now-deceased character, Black Widow. So yeah. they're they're retrofitting this story into the timeline. So the events take place between, I think it's Civil War and Endgame. So the, oh, yeah? the Avengers are all on hiatus, which was interesting because I thought this was going to be like a pre-Avengers thing, but nope, so she's very much uh, in the midst of all that. Okay. And they name drop certain characters, but uh, in terms of cameos, uh, there's maybe one voice cameo and that's about it. So... This is uh, a puzzling one in that the cast is phenomenal, bar one person who I'm going to save to the end, okay? Okay, okay. You've got David David Harbour, who's one of my favourite actors. He plays the role of, like, Red Crimson, who is a Russian super soldier. We have Rachel Weisz, the phenomenal Rachel Weisz, who is playing essentially the surrogate mother of, of Black Widow. And then we have her sister, uh, Black Widow's, I think I'm going to say for half, I look over half sister, mm-hmm. who is played by Florence Pugh, okay, who is a, a brilliant English actress, and I am certain we will be seeing and hearing more of her in the years to come. Yes, she is the standout in this movie, and all right, I tell you, I suspect that Florence Pugh's character of of Black Widow's sister will be joining ah. the the wider cinematic ah. universe in that. I fully expect she will be in like the new Avengers, whatever that ends up being. She's more affordable as well. <laughs> she definitely is. And also her character is still alive. And <laughs> everybody's alive now though. Don't forget. If if you have not seen if you have not seen this movie and would like to avoid the post credits scene, I'm about to spoil it for you, but it's interesting in that the post credit scene, turn your ears off, mm-hmm. features this character of Yelena who's uh, the new Black Widow, being approached by a character from a Disney Plus TV show. Oh, okay. Yeah, so the character Valentina, who's played uh, by uh, Julie Louise Dreyfus... Purple Streak. ...approaches uh, Yelena in this post credit scene, and for the first time, we've now seen a transition from a Marvel TV show to a movie. Kind of, yeah. And I believe we're I believe we're going to see her pop up in the Hawkeye TV show, which is coming out next year. But right. 100% she is getting her own movie. Okay, bigger picture stuff. This movie is fine. It is fine. In that the action sequences are, are coherent, largely. The stunt work is nice. The acting is great, bar one, which I'm still saving. And the character depth... 
that you get, but certainly between Scarlett Johansson's uh, Natasha and her sister Yelena, is really, really nice. You know, at the end of the movie, there is that kind of coming together, that emotional moment. And it is it does work. It does work. And uh, the uh, parent-daughter dynamic between David Harbour and Rachel Weisz, also effective. Rachel Weisz's deadpan humour, excellent. But here are the cons. It is just another Marvel movie. There is absolutely nothing which makes it stand out in any way in comparison to other right. uh, solo adventures. You know, even on the, the list of... On a, on a list of uh, all the Marvel movies from from best to worst, this is smack bang in the middle. Okay. Maybe maybe towards the lower half. And the main issue I have with it is that the main villain is Ray Winston. Okay. This is, I believe, hidden from you in the trailers, and for good reason. Because Ray Winston, who you would most likely see advertising Bet365... Yeah. Bit, bit on that, ever be on that. Yeah. Do it now. Yeah. Is doing is doing a Russian accent and he oh, can't do it. No. He cannot so it's like I I can't believe you did this. This is a terrible plan. <laughs> how, and, how dare you? Yeah, it's it's very much like, oh I I made you tough like I made you tough like strong little girl. And I'm thinking this is just the guy from Despicable Me, except it's being played by Ray Winston, and you cannot take him seriously. No. For a single second, you're just like, that's Ray Winston doing a terrible, terrible accent. How did that get through Marvel? And Their casting is usually so strict. Honestly, he must have something on the casting director because <laughs> I cannot for the life of me figure out why he was, other than being physically intimidating, I cannot understand why they gave him this role. He is, he is simply ill-suited for the role. He shouldn't have been in it. And uh, if you're going to add, uh, have, again, have your list of Marvel villains from worst to best, he is near the worst. He is not quite Malekith. so bad at villains? But he, they just can't do it. They cannot do him at any villain right. And this is just another one. Not helped by the fact that Ray Winston can't do a Russian accent. Anyway, it's completely skippable. But if you would like to see a nice Florence Pugh acting turn, if you're a fan of hers, it is worth watching because she's great. I really it, enjoyed it her. It currently costs money to watch it, right? On the it's uh, it's thirty quid up until I think it's October, oh, and then it becomes free. <laughs> I'm going to wait. <laughs> and just on that note, uh, the legal story from this week is that Scarlett Johansson is taking Disney to court because she was apparently promised that it was going to be only a theatrical release. Of course, it is not. Well, yeah. It's uh, now on Disney Plus. You can buy it or in a few months you can just get it. Yeah. And, and its box office has suffered as a result. It is crawling over the $400 million mark, which is pretty disappointing for Marvel. And she is saying in this lawsuit, hey, my earnings were dependent on a big box box office and you've just gone against your word yeah. and taken away all my box office money. And not only that, but I believe Disney are not considering like the £30 fee as box office because it is at home. No. So it's not only are they taking away the big box office release um, in terms of in person, but they're also just for some reason treating the internet ticketing system they've invented as though it's different from an actual ticketing system. When it isn't, it clearly is a replacement for the revenue. So if it's replacing their revenue, it should also replace the revenue share for people who are getting a share of box office fees. So I think she's in the right. Yeah, yeah, I would say so as well, particularly if it's in her contract. Uh, we've also had uh, Gerard Butler, yeah. the man with another strange accent, who has uh, filed a lawsuit alleging that he's owed 10 million 
from the success of Olympus Has Fallen, which was the 2013 movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the film grossed about 170 million worldwide, but he said he's yet to see a penny. Right, yeah. And in this instance, it just literally looks like fraud. Um, <laughs> people are, people at uh, what studio is it again? It's a uh, um, new image of Millennium. Millennium Media? Yep. Yeah, Millennium are, uh, are, according to denizens of the internet, pretty well known as a do not work with these people group. Oh. And especially don't rely on them to treat treat money as though it is uh, real. And they've basically been trying to hide profits and stuff like that. And it looks like Butler has put together a very convincing case to show this. So it could be a, a yet another step in the direction of um, these big uh, Hollywood companies um, no longer getting away with um, hiding revenue and hiding money so they can avoid um, paying people who are getting a percentage share. Okay, before we talk about the new trailer for Venom, Let There Be Carnage, uh, James, what else have you got to review? I watched the, 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 the most recent and final season of the Castlevania TV show on Netflix. Okay, what was it like? Uh, I, once again, much like my other Castlevania reviews, it exceeded my expectations Love because that. I have kept them very low. <laughs> um, but it is doing a v- occasionally very, very good TV. Um, I will say, I'm assuming it's the final season because they crunched through the plot for a lot of the characters. For the first for the first season, there was plot and it was resolved, and then they got more show, more seasons out, so they had to think of plot to to do next, and they se- sort of set up loads of threads. Every every character has got their own plot going on, so characters that felt like B characters in season one are getting entire episodes in season two and three and stuff like that, and the same continues here. But they're all finishing their plots all in this final, what I'm assuming is final season. It says it is as well, um, and it's mostly really quick but also really efficiently done in a satisfying way. Most of the plots pay themselves off. And yeah, they didn't get the time they needed, and it's animated, so it feels even more rushed, because anime feels rushed. Animated stuff feels rushed by the nature of it. Right. Um, but most of the p- story they did was just wrapped up kind of well. And the main story, I, I, I applaud their way of wrapping up, and I'll, I'll spoil it a wee bit to, to tell you why at the end of the review, remind me to do that. But I will also say that on the other side of this coin is teenager-level writing, where they've oh. clearly got their kids to come up with the concepts for what characters ah, are going to do, okay. or the, the the new abilities their characters are going to get at random in middle of fights and things like that. There is very much this switch your brain off and enjoy the spectacle aspect to the show, where you've got no idea what the characters are going to be able to do to resolve the next combat sequence or to resolve a plot thread or what the characters are going to notice or not notice or know and not know. It's it's flipping coins everywhere to make decisions. And so long as you aren't like putting your brain on and trying to figure out how it was all written and how it's all justified, that stuff is fine and even entertaining because it is just so ridiculous. They resolved a hanging plot thread from season one very well. Uh, I'm trying not to spoil things too well, but Dracula's the main antagonist in season one, and then he's dealt with. Okay. Um, they managed to bring him back into the story to try and tie a bookend in the whole thing in a very charming way uh, that I really liked, even though it felt unearned. And then the main character, um, this is spoiler territory. He gets a fake out death in the final um, episode, or the episode before the final one. And it was so convincingly done, I thought they actually killed him. Um, even though he comes back in the next episode. He comes back halfway through. And I think the brilliant thing that they did 
is they showed us what life would have been like if the character death was real. And they showed us really well what life would have been like if the character death was real. And then they brought the character back anyway to show us what life's going to be like now that he's not dead. And we get the best of both worlds because my brain doesn't have to go, right. well, what would have happened if he actually died? Because I got shown. Do you not feel that's a bit cheap? It didn't feel cheap this time. It was mind-blowing to me. And for a show where so many things felt cheap and so many things felt contrived, and it was very much like just, hey, just do this for the audience gratification. This one thing where they did the death and then showed us life continuing even though the character was dead and then showed us, hey, he didn't die because they hinted to us that he didn't die. They, they did feed us a little bit of info that shows that we're probably not killing him. We're going to make it look like we are, though. It was, it was legitimately good. And I, 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 maybe it's just me that thinks this. Maybe everybody else in the world thinks that this moment where they hint the death, but they also hint the not death, and then they show you both the death and the not death in the final episode. I loved it. Maybe everybody else hates it. But I, I loved the way they did it because it left me just happy. I didn't have questions about what would have happened if it was the other ending because I saw both endings. <laughs> and it felt good. Okay, well, there we go. A com- comprehensive edition of what we've been watching and we're going to finish off yeah. this section with and t- no, actually i will say it is one of the w- one of the best animated shows that the west is producing the oh, animation okay. isn't static and boring it isn't fake 3d and bland it is it is legitimately well animated when it needs to be and then it's legitimately cheaply a- cheaply animated when it doesn't need to be but, but the show is now finished all right It's done, and it's on Netflix, and you can watch it, and let me know what you think. Okay, okay, right, we're going to finish up this section with a look at Venom, Let There Be Carnage. The official trailer is out. Here we go. We should be out there snacking on bad guys. I am a predator. I need to be free. You have got to get control of your aggression, or you will get hauled off into Area 51. You live in my body. You live by my rules. I'm sorry. I don't know what came over me. Please, let me fix it. So I can fix it again. You are a loser. James, I hated this with every fibre of my being. There, what did you think? There, there, there's no chance this is going to be good. There, I cannot. I cannot. Well, I hold cannot on. stand it. Hold on. We said that about The Suicide Squad, and all I'm seeing are glowing reviews. I will have you know that I did not say this about The Suicide Squad. Okay, I'm pretty sure I did. We can we can reference back. I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure I was saying that The Suicide Squad looked like it had promise and potential. Okay. <laughs> Whereas this doesn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fair. Uh, I think Woody Harrelson is far better than this thankless role of uh, chewing scenery and chewing people. <laughs> as uh, the character Carnage. And we've talked about the terrible title already, uh, Let There Be Light, just being Let There Be Carnage, just call it Carnage, would have been so much easier. Yep. But hey-ho, this is where we're at. And uh, yep, it's going to be terrible. I can't believe it's getting made. And it's and it's going to be bad, but it is going to make money as well. So f- the credit to them, they are going to make a, a, a profit off of this. Well done to everybody involved. And I'm pretty sure Tom Hardy is, is heavily involved in this one, getting even writing credits or something like that. So I'm sure he's going to make a, wow. a, a good amount of pocket change. Um, but I cannot believe how much worse this looked than the first film, because the first film looked really bad. Okay, let's uh, finish up with some quick-fire news and starting with some really sad news, actually, from Scotland. We had seven people 
drown in one weekend. There were four wow. who drowned in Loch Lomond over the, the course of 48 hours. We had someone else in Loch Lubnig near our calendar and then uh, a couple others in uh, Balloch Country Park and another one in a, a river. So, James, these range from, I think it was 11-year-old, 11-year-old boy was the youngest, a couple other teenagers uh, and a couple older men and a, a woman as well. This was sparked basically because Scotland had a heat wave. We had we did. an incredible spell of, of warm weather. It shouldn't be that incredible now that the planet's heating up. But it happens every year, yeah. <laughs> indeed, we uh, had a very long spell of warm weather. People took to the water and it seems a lot of them just jumped in without, first of all, seeing if it was deep and second of all, actually knowing how to swim. And Yeah, it, overconfidence. Right, and that to me is what I've been hearing from experts, people who, who just think, oh, it's fine, you know, the pier's just over there, or, oh, no, the, yeah, the, okay. the boat's just there, I'll be fine. Yeah. And and people also being unable to spot someone who is drowning, because, and this was something I was getting wrong, I would always presume that someone who is drowning would be kind of splishing and splashing and making a racket. Oh, yeah, no. But no, uh, basically it's it's called silent drowning because the person is so essentially preoccupied with the act of of drowning they can't make a noise and they are barely moving yeah so that's um yeah that was something for me i've i've had to to look into no it's it's a thing i've heard quite a lot over the years that parents and unexperienced supervisors will really miss uh, miss the signs that someone is legitimately drowning it'll just be a quiet struggle and it will be a struggle but it might just look like they're flailing a wee bit and then a, a casual little sink to the bottom and it's awful and it's harrowing and it's why training matters and it's why having supervisors matters and it's also why not being overconfident matters and i don't know how we deal with this um, seven's a lot. It's, it doesn't sound like a big number in a, in a, in a nation, but seven's a lot of people um, to die from a very preventable thing. Um, and I think we just have to have more messaging about the fact that these things are dangerous. If you're like a little bit drunk, might not be the best plan to go swimming. If you're an inexperienced swimmer, it might not be the best plan to go swimming. And even if you're experienced, it might be the best plan to take as many precautions as possible to make sure you're doing it in the safest way you can. Okay, let's move on. We've talked about Belarus on the show before and and fairly recently as well. The news this week is that a murder probe has been opened into the case of Vitaly Shishov, who was found hung in one of the parks in the city of Kiev in Ukraine. Now, the 26-year-old was the head of the Kiev-based Belarusian House in Ukraine, otherwise known as BDU, an organization that is helping Belarusians who are trying to flee the country for fear of of persecution. This organization, uh, non-governmental organization, has been helping these people find accommodation, jobs, helping them with legal stuff. And, uh, yep, Vitaly had gone out for a run and uh, he was reported missing. His friends say he was followed by strangers, and the next thing, he was found hanging. So this is really terrible. No, it's another indicator of just how bad and how evil the intent of the current leaders in in Belarus uh, are. Um, The fact that that it happened, though, is still kind of hurting my brain because, according to Ukraine authorities, they knew that the guy was in danger. They'd had reports of threats and they had him uh, under supervision. There was reports from him and his friends that he was getting followed by strangers here and there. Uh, So it's strange to me that there was this open opportunity for something dodgy to occur. Now, 
the the investigation is ongoing, so <laughs> I'm going to shy away from declaring with full confidence what happened. But you know, yeah, uh, all indicators point to uh, interested parties getting rid of somebody who was trying to help a bad situation um, because they don't want that. They don't want um, options for their people. Um, and it's something to look out for. And I hope that it is another another thing that will lead to a legitimate response against all of this um, shady ongoings. Okay, let's talk about Andrew Cuomo. The president, Mm -hmm. Joe Biden, has called on him to resign after an inquiry found that the governor of New York State had harassed multiple women over several years. This was just after the state's attorney general, Letitia James, said Governor Cuomo had violated state and federal law. And in response, Mr. Cuomo has denied touching anyone inappropriately and has vowed to stay. But Mr. Biden, in a a press conference at the White House, said he thinks that he should resign. And there's a whole host of really uncomfortable, terrible stories of this guy groping women, kissing women unasked, uh, touching them, making unwelcome and non-consensual touches and remarks. And uh, yeah, this is pretty unequivocal, to be honest. He is, uh, let's say, I would say close to 20 different women Yeah, uh, have various allegations here and the independent inquiry spoke to 200 people. Yep. So this is uh, damning, certainly. Yeah, and you know, if your response to such strong evidence and, you know, investigations and reports and, you know, witnesses and testimony is to say, no, 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 nothing happened and then just not resign, it shows your character. Uh, sh- the response to things much lighter than this is apologize and resign and just disappear, right? Um, lucky that you're not getting any any worse and hopefully you'll be able to um, make amends or recompense, you know? The fact that there's so much and he is still just trying to deny and pretend it's not there and hope that he gets away with it when he can quite literally now be investigated um, criminally and also be impeached is a really bad sign of his character. Indeed. Okay, and one final story to end us on a to send us on our merry way. Ah. We have some environmental advice ah, just what from we need. a Tory. Mm-hmm. So this is uh, Allegra Stratton, who is the Prime Minister's COP26 spokeswoman, who in an article for the Telegraph set out a list of little things yeah. that British people can do yes. to save the planet. And do you know what was top of this list? Certainly near the top. Yeah. Go, go ahead. People should not be rinsing their plates yeah. before they put them in the dishwasher. Mm-hmm. It's a very valid damn thing. And that, James, is how we save planet Earth. It's going to happen because the responsibility is on the individuals of the population to change and not the mega corporations who are destroying the planet. Now, I, I know I know what the answer is here, James, but just for the benefit of those who are failing to read between the lines, what do you think of this statement from uh, Miss Stratton? It's patronising trash it's it's the exactly what i would expect from the conservatives who who want to toe the line of the big oil interests and big conglomerate and company interests um to try and pretend that it is our responsibility as the population to be doing things and keeping track of our carbon footprint and minimizing waste when it barely makes an effect compared to actual legislation targeting the the problem makers that are these mega corporations 
this is not a surprise that the Tories' messaging is just so patronising and stupid. It, to me, it beggars belief that this is the thing that they're telling British people to do, which is don't rinse your plates before you put them in a dishwasher, considering the fact that just over, or sorry, just under half the population don't even have a dishwasher. It, yeah. It is tone deaf. It is close to being classist. Well, it is classist. And it's a ridiculous suggestion. It's a ridiculous suggestion to say, you know what, here is how we save planet Earth. Stop rinsing your dishes. Now, I think that they are framing it as like small things that help, which is true. There are small things that help, but this shouldn't be the thing that's getting written about. They shouldn't be spending their time when they can quite literally legislate to affect things, like suggesting that maybe the population can do these things. It is so small and so meaningless, and it is just a little virtue signal from them when they don't actually have good intention. If they had good intention, they would be doing things that are effective. But it's also the fact that there are other things that people can do, practically, which will make far more of a difference well, yeah. than rinsing a plate. But those will affect the wealthy more than the poor. The wealthier those that are contributing the most. Like, don't don't fly as much. Yeah, don't, don't fly so often. Don't have private jets. Don't go on cruises. Don't go on anything that's massively wasteful. Like, don't host unnecessarily huge events and gatherings for no reason at all. All of these things. Um, that don't target the poor. But the conservatives are keen to try and lump the burden on the, the normal people and the, and the poorer people and avoid the... And if, if, if there's going to be a message, it's going to affect everybody equally because they don't want to admit that it is them and their wealthy mates that are the problem. Well, James, uh, you could save the planet by... I was going to say listening to the show, but actually, no. You know what? I don't think this would help. I do save the planet because I don't pre-rinse my dishes. What next, conservatives? Nice. Don't own a car? Got it. Don't use your heating unnecessarily? Got it. <laughs> Come on. Oh, I'm all, I'm all over that. I'm very much in the, are you cold? Put on another jumper. Yeah. I can do that. I can do that. Okay, right. Well, on that, on that practical note, it's time to end this uh, mammoth episode of the show. Thank you very much for listening. It's been a pleasure, James. Thank you for your time. If you, dear listener, would like to get in touch, you know how to do it. So I'm not going to tell you again. <laughs> and uh, we'll see you next week. No, thank you all for listening. In fact, no, you won't because I'm, uh, I'm on holiday. So maybe next weekend. Oh, when I'm okay, back. okay. Hope you enjoy your holiday. After, after jab number two. Nice. Looking forward to it already. Yeah. Getting pricked. <laughs>